G'day, 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 and welcome everyone. That's our resident scaredy cat, Kate. And that's the horror junkie, Dominic. And you're listening to Shit and Bricks. A podcast where we talk shit about some scary stuff. The sort of fear your asshole knows about. As always, subscribe, rate, and review us. And don't forget to follow us on social media at Shit and Bricks Podcast. All right, drop your dax, pop a squat, and let's get into it. <laughs> hi, Irene. Oh, hi, Dom. How are you? Or is it David? Yeah, sure. <laughs> oh, God. I was just, for those of you who don't know who Irene is, uh, I just was saying to Dom that I received, I was on my WhatsApp and I got a random text from someone once that said, are you David? I want to know if the clothing store can renew the lease. And I said, sorry, I'm not David. I'm Irene. Good luck. <laughs> <laughs> then the person said, sorry, your number is very similar to my friends. I'm sorry for the misunderstanding. I hope you understand. And I said, that's okay. No problems. Have a nice evening. And they said, you are a good person. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> I love that Irene has turned into the good side, good version of you. Like, Oh, my God. Of course. That's so perfect. instead of like you know, a negative or evil alter ego. Irene is your like angel alter ego. Yes. My, not negative, but my my party alter ego is Pocahontas. (laughs) And I'll save that story for another time. It's got nothing to do with cultural appropriation or race. It is not that. I will explain it again one time, but today is not the day. You'll just have to uh, tune in for another one of our episodes where we just drop that little nugget somewhere. Maybe it'll even be a little Patreon sneaky, sneaky deaky peaky. Who knows? How have you been, Kate? I've been pretty well. I had a bit of a back injury over the weekend and it was not caused by anything fun. I was, oh, I was cleaning my fish tank, and that's not a euphemism. I have a fish tank with a goldfish, and it's a sort of bigish tank, and I need to sort of lean over the bench to pull it towards the sink so that I can empty the water. And as I did that, because I'm over 30 years old, mm. apparently just an action I've done a thousand times before was not right on that day. My body wasn't quite feeling it. Mercury was in retrograde and my back completely seized up. So it was, it was quite the time I had almost like, you know, a Miranda moment from sex in the city when she does her neck and Aiden comes over and she's pissed at Carrie. And I almost said that I was lying on the kitchen floor thinking, who do I call? Like, who do I call to come and pick me up off the floor. Who's got an Aiden that will come and collect me? So just for clarity's sake, I was not that person called. <laughs> <laughs> the good thing was I didn't have to call anyone. My back came back to life um, after a little bit. So that's fortunate. But that was, that was my last few days. How about you, Don? What have you been up to? Oh, uh, you know, just the usual whizzy diz biz yeah. business. Biz. Keeping myself out of trouble. You know, trying to stay warm because it's pretty bloody cold. Oh, yeah, it is. And it's currently 10 degrees Celsius in Melbourne right now. So if you're listening from somewhere else, we've probably got listeners. I know we've got quite a lot in the UK. So if you listen to this and you're like, 10 degrees Celsius, that's like summer. Mm. So, But it doesn't feel like it here. That's for sure. Not for us. Well, Kate, I guess, you know, speaking of injuries and and all that sort of stuff, I guess you were just in the wrong place at the wrong time when you were cleaning this fish tank oh my god golf clap 
<laughs> that was fantastic. I really, truly was in the wrong place at the wrong time, which is such a cute little, uh, you know, uh, kind of lead into our story for today. But before I get into my story, Boopod shout out. Boopod. Got a Boopod. Boopity boop. Today, <laughs> I literally wrote Boopity Boop in my book today <laughs> so that I don't forget. But we are going to be um, Boopodding Murder Road Trip. Now, the hosts, uh, Shannon or Shan and Troy, um, they take you on a road trip of cr- true crime. It's really cool. Um, it's got a really cute little concept. Yeah. They do talk about it in their promo, so I'm not going to double up on what they're going to share. But here is Murder Road Trip's promo. Boopity boop. boop. <laughs> hey, I'm Shan. And I'm Troy. And we are going on a little murder road trip where every Sunday we take you to a new state alphabetically to tell you the story of murder, spooks, and everything in between. Yes, join us every Sunday for bad jokes, murder, and ghosts. It doesn't get much better than that. So grab your snackies, get on in, and we're going to go on a murder road trip. Amazing. Um, so yes, there you go. Isn't that a cool concept that they're doing all of the states and they just pick a true crime from each of those states? It's yeah. really, it's so cool. Shannon Troy, you were totally onto such a kick-ass idea because oh, yeah. first thing I put on when I'm road tripping is a true crime podcast. Like absolutely gets me by every time. So yep. love this idea. I mean, I can't drive to the States right at this moment. No. But hey, maybe when we're super rich and famous, Kate, and we tour the States, we can, you know, jump on that bandwagon ourselves. That's right. Maybe we can get Shannon Troy to take us to the next state for whatever they're up to. Yes, please. Cool. So make sure you like, subscribe, tick the boxes, follow, put the bell on, do all of those things. And whilst you're at it, do that for shitting bricks as well. Because if yes, you please. haven't, you know, we want to we want to we want to be friends. Yeah, and if you if you don't, you're kind of a shit human being. So oh, th- that's what I always say. There's no in between. It's either we're friends or you're a shit human being. <laughs> that is it. All right. So Dom, last week we introduced a series of episodes. I yeah. mentioned that I got on a bit of a rabbit hole in terms of people being in the wrong place at the wrong time, and I thought that was a really uh, yeah neat concept. So I thought I'm going to go with this, uh, and we'll tell some stories about people in history who have just been in the wrong place at the wrong time for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but also looking back over that episode, we did talk about Rocco's modern life last week for, for pop culture, but I have got a pop culture film for this week and it nice. is called wrong place, wrong time. No way. Fuck way. off. Here is the synopsis. An elite team of thieves Always good to have an elite team of thieves. They take refuge with a family after a heist goes horribly wrong. They soon find themselves in the fight for their lives when one of their hosts turns into a mysterious creature. Now, (laughs) here are some of the reviews of this film. (laughs) There is no ideal point to watch this one. It's how quickly you want to get it over with and how you manage to lose a bet that made you watch it in the first place. (laughs) The next review. I'd give this hardcore, stupid core horror a hard pass. <laughs> the next one was, overall, Wrong Place, Wrong Time is a disjointed mess of a movie that delivers a strange yet predictable story. So it got 33% by critics on Rotten Tomato and a whopping 0% from anybody that has seen it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've got some thoughts, feelings and emotions about this. Yes. Two things. I uh-huh. love that it was an elite you know, band elite of thieves. Elite thieves. Elite um, thieves. 
Imagine if it was just like the the worst thieves in the world banded together yes. and tried to have a crack at whatever. That would probably make this a more interesting movie. Yep. But for our listeners, this is a bit of a teaser. And sorry, Kate, if I'm stepping on your your Please. beautiful toes, but step on everything. This is a <laughs> this is a bit of a teaser because for our Patreon launch, Kate and I have been toying with the idea of doing an extra bonus episode once a week, mm-hmm. a short little little review of our pop culture reference of the week. That's so right. you would only get access to this uh, bonus episode if you became one of our special, special Patreons. That's right. So keep an eye out for where you might hear a little bit more of Kate and I's um, amazing review oh. uh, talent. I mean, it can't be any better than... I would give this film a hard pass. Like, it can't be any better. <laughs> and that will be included in our little bonus. Love it. Well, thanks, Kate. I'm dying to watch this movie. Thanks. I bet. I bet. I know. It was a real good one. I really just thought, yeah, we'll stick with that. Um, now, the first, I've got a couple of stories to tell you today that fit into our wrong place, wrong time theme. Yeah. A bit of a roller coaster. We'll see how we go. Strapped right. in. The first uh, wrong place, wrong time character is uh, someone that I discovered in an All Things Interesting article. Um, mm-hmm. It was published in 2018. So we are going to hear the story of uh, Freino or Frain Salak. Um, now, it's like Freino, Frain. I'm going to call him Frain because that's how it's more commonly recorded, um, referred to. Well, yeah. I couldn't figure out what I was saying there. Um, so he had never been on a plane before. Um, and desperate times called for desperate measures. So according to Salak, the year was 1963, and the 32-year-old Croatian man had just received word that his mother was ill, making him determined to fly immediately from Zagreb um, to Rijeka in Croatia to see her. Apologies to everybody from Croatia for the pronunciation. (laughs) We love it. I know. The earliest flight available was already booked, but Salak said he managed to persuade the sympathetic airline to let him sit in the plane's rear with a flight attendant. Oh, that's kind of sweet. Yeah. Now, Salak recalled that the first experience with air travel went smoothly until shortly before landing when the unthinkable happened. One um, of the plane's doors somehow flew open. <laughs> sure. In, in flight entertainment. <laughs> I know, literally. Salak told the Telegraph in 2003, one minute we were drinking tea and the next the door was ripped open and the flight attendant was sucked into midair, followed shortly by me. Okay. Soon, <laughs> Salak said that the plane crashed and the flight attendant, two pilots and 17 other passengers lay dead. Salak, however, claimed to have miraculously survived after landing in a haystack that cushioned his fall. Oh, okay. Mm. Well, I mean, he's alive, so we can't really, you know, yeah. <laughs> argue well, that's, the that's point. True. But... Exactly. Now, that is just one of the seven incredible brushes with death that uh, Frain Salak said he endured. All right, I'm counting for you, Kate. Excellent. Take notes. The year before the plane crash, Salak said that he was on a train from Sarajevo to Dubrovnik that derailed and crashed into an icy river, but he claimed that despite suffering from hypothermia and a broken arm, he swam to safety and survived. 
All right. So that's number one. In 1966, according to Salak, he was on a bus that skidded into a river, lots of water-based activities, leaving four dead whilst he swam safely to the banks and only suffered minor cuts and bruises. All right, we've done trains. Trains, planes, planes, automobiles. Mm. (laughs) Not automobiles yet, but here we go. In 1970 and 1973, Salak reportedly survived two similar accidents in which his car spontaneously caught fire whilst he was driving <laughs> and it exploded uh, just after he was able to flee to safety. Oh. <laughs> then, after 22 incident-free years, so he had one of those boards up that said days since, <laughs> days since car accident, train accident, plane accident, after 22 accident-free years, Salak said that he survived being hit by a bus while walking in Zagreb in 1995. Okay, Croatia is sounded like a real dangerous place. Literally, I know. The following year, so 1996, Salak claimed that he was driving in the Croatian mountains when an oncoming truck caused him to swerve off a 300-foot cliff. <laughs> However, he said that he was able to jump out at the last second and watch a tree at the cliff's edge uh, and watch from a tree at the cliff's edge as his car plummeted downwards. Oh, God. He's really killing it. Salak told the Telegraph that his friends were eventually hesitant to get in a vehicle with him (laughs) or even be near him at all. No shit. How about you stop playing murder road trip podcasts, um, Salak, and just, you know, focus on the road? Concentrate. Uh, that's right. Exactly. Now, after he had said his friends didn't want to really, you know, be mates. Um, yeah, he was like, there came a stage when I was lucky to have any friends at all. Many of them stopped seeing me and they said that I was really bad karma. Ooh, that's a bit harsh. Yeah. As one of neighbor, one of Salak's neighbors said, put it like this. If I heard Frayne had booked a flight or a train, I'd cancel. <laughs> he, he, tell him he's dreaming. Tell him he's dreaming. I'm, when, honey, we are not going to the bloody Hawaii this week. Frayne's off there. We're not going. Forget it. Now, nevertheless, Frayne Select remained optimistic despite his many brush with death stories. You could look at it two ways, he said in 2003. I was either either the unluckiest man in the world or the luckiest. I preferred to believe the latter. I mean, he survived all of these things, so I think he's the luckiest, don't you? Yeah, I think yeah. I think maybe the plane is an unlucky situation. That's definitely sure. wrong place, wrong time. Like, <laughs> oh, yeah. it's having like a cup of tea and then shit. boom. Um, but all the other shit, that's a bit. That's a bit like. Yeah, you're lucky, buddy, because that stuff can happen. Yeah. But air travel, like you and I have discussed pre- in previous episodes, mm-hmm. is such a safe place to be. Yeah, we um, love it. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, not for, not, not for Frayne. Uh, now, Frayne also said that I just know there will be no more accidents, he added. I'm going to enjoy my life now. I feel like I've been reborn. God's <laughs> been watching over me all these years. The devil has moved on to torment someone else. <laughs> oh god okay love i know so the devil moved on from our mate parkour onto frame yeah. and now he's like no now the devil's gone we're yeah. all right now frame select may have been feeling especially optimistic when he made those comments because it was soon after that he reportedly won a lottery jackpot 
of six hundred thousand pounds, so nearly a million bucks. So he wins the lotto. He's like the devil be gone. Bring in the cash. <laughs> well, supposedly a lot of bad shit happens to people that win the lottery. Like, oh my gosh, you know, That's, I'm writing that down. That's another story. Yeah, like people. Lottery. I know some of it's self-inflicted by spending the money and all that kind yeah. of crap. But you know, it's kind of a little like uh, what's his name from Lost? He wins the lottery and then it's all just That's life right. turns to shit. And he becomes lost. Mm. Is that the plot of that show? <laughs> Sorry, I haven't actually watched it. But oh. a plane crashes in that, don't they? Yeah, Kate. On an do island. Do yourself a favour. Probably okay. one of the greatest television shows ever made. Whoa, that's that's a big call. Yeah, right, I'll put it on my list. All right. So um, it was fit. It was a fitting bit of good fortune for Frayne, uh, a man whose life story seemed to depend on so much luck. Uh, now, Select recounted his seven stories. Was there seven? Because it was well, two cars. Two cars, yeah. Okay, cool, yeah, perfect. Yeah. He recounted his seven stories of near-death experiences time and time again to outlets like The Telegraph and The Spiegel. The Spiegel? The Spiegel, um, <laughs> I assume is another news outlet. But once his stories went international, thanks to the interviews he started giving after his reported lottery win, mm. some people began to doubt the validity of his incredible tales. In the age of Google, those who doubt Salak point to the lack of official records documenting any fatal Croatian plane crashes in 63 or fatal train crashes in the preceding year. Mm-hmm. At the same time, the BBC gave the year of his first accident as 1957, not 1962, and said it was on a bus, not a train. So they're starting to poke holes. Google is is getting people to poke holes in these stories. Uh, yeah. Meanwhile, there have also been inconsistencies in Salak's own stories. Mm. When the Telegraph interviewed him in 2003, he said he'd been playing the lottery consistently for years and then finally won. But when the Telegraph spoke to him again in 2010, uh, when he said he gave away a lot of his fortune to various charitable causes... The story was that he won the jackpot the first time he ever played. Uh-huh. So this year is, yeah, it's the of the lotto win. It's, it's likely to have changed across those various accounts. Yeah, this has given me vibes of, you know, when I'm partial to a bevy or two, mm. I have inherited my family's and people's affinity to exaggerate my stories. Yes. Now, they're never lies. They're just embellishments and that's right you have a grand old time when i tell them everyone does of course but i'll be the first to admit that they're not all entirely accurate and i'm having a vibe <laughs> i'm feeling a, a connection with with with, Sirs, Rain. Yes. with Rain on this Absolutely. uh uh <laughs> ability of embellishing well, that's right i i hear that for sure and they you know they went on to say that relatively minor quibbles that can easily be the result of simple mistakes um yep. you know were were there but these kinds of discrepancies are hard to ignore when the survival stories at the center of Selak's biography are quite hard to believe themselves. Mm-hmm. But for what it's worth, Selak's claim to have survived falling out of a plane isn't without precedent. A Serbian flight attendant by the name of Vesna Vulovic 
survived a 33,000 foot fall out of a plane after terrorists detonated a bomb that tore the craft apart in the skies over Czechoslovakia in 1972. So piss off Franey if you're telling your lying stories, which I mean, all of those, even one of those is true. 100% wrong place, wrong time. Mm -hmm. But I was reading this and went, I can't leave our listeners with a story that's like could potentially all be made up. Like that's not really what we do. We like the facts. We like, you know, some stories that are a little bit more juicy. Based on truth, yeah. Yeah. So I went ahead and said, all right, Vesna, what have you been up to, Dull? How did you survive a 33,000 foot fall? Here we go. Oh. Miss Vulovich's story... Her improbable story began on January 26, 1972 in Copenhagen, where she was assigned... Do you say Copenhagen or Copenhagen? Um, uh, I'd say Hagen. Okay. I'm going to say Hagen because it's like Tom Hagen from Godfather. Sure. All right, perfect. I think it's pretty fair. Yeah. So in Copenhagen, where she was assigned to a Yugoslav Airlines crew for a flight to Belgrade. She recalled that she should not have been there. Another flight attendant, also named Vesna, was supposed to be on the roster. Oh, wrong Vesna. Yes, wrong Vesna. Classic (laughs) mistake. I do it all the time. Uh, So Vesna wasn't even supposed to be there. Vesna was supposed to be there. But Vesna ended up getting called anyway. So automatically, wronger placer, wronger timer. So we'll see what happens to this Vesna. An hour into the flight... The plane, it was a DC-9. I don't know what that was. If you're a plane enthusiast, giddy up. It blew up over the Czech village of, mm, there's no vowels, Zbriska. Zbriska, come in. Yep, please write in. Yeah. As, as others were believed to have been sucked out of the jet into sub-freezing temperatures, Vesna remained inside part of the shattered fuselage wedged in by a food, uh, food cart. As it was Whoa. plunging towards the earth. Yeah. Fuck right. I mean, I guess you could have a bicky in one of those little bottles of booze on her way. I've got to get much. You can never get those cheese and bickies open, though. It's yeah. tricky. Like, yeah. so she'd be struggling with that. Just a um, pack of nuts flying in her face. <laughs> wouldn't be the first time for some of us. Busy. Um, <laughs> so she's wedged in by a food cart as the plane is plummeting towards earth. Now, trees broke the fall of the fuselage, uh, fuselage section on, and snow on the hills cushioned its landing. Wow. So, you know, it's bashed into trees, it slowed it down, it's then hit the, the snow, which is fortunate enough to, you know, stop it from evaporating it's on impact, in, I yeah, suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the Guinness Book of World Records says the plunge from the height of 33,000 feet is the longest recorded fall without a parachute. Yeah, I was about to say, this has to be a world record. Yeah, yeah. Now, the Czech, uh, the Czech authorities concluded that explosives in a suitcase had detonated and tore the jet apart. But an investigation by two reporters in Prague to th- in 2009 challenged that account. Oh, these investigators just putting holes in me stories. <laughs> they concluded that the DC-9 was mistakenly shot down by the um, Czechoslovakia Air Force at an altitude of only 800 metres, or about 2,625 feet. Uh. Now, I love having the internet. 
don't yeah. know about you. <laughs> it's it's a blessing and a curse sometimes. Oh my goodness. The next line in my script is it's a blessing and a curse. Ah. Are you kidding? I can screenshot this. I swear down. It says it's a blessing and a curse. We are leveling <laughs> up as podcasting geniuses. Please give us an Emmy for our podcast. Yeah. Woo yeah. woo. So it is a blessing and a curse, the old internets, but when I am finding further information that I need to, you know, really draw our listeners in and to help them to understand, particularly uh, measurements, heights, distances, things like that. True. You can always count on a 1990s vibe original <laughs> web page and the one that I found and I will put, we will put the link in socials. It is called the Splat Calculator. <laughs> uh, yes, please. Now, this classic website is, I mean, it uses mathematics and physics and things that are far beyond me yep. to calculate how, <laughs> how long it takes to fall a certain distance it's got like a bit of a like a free climbing vibe to it a rock yeah. climbing vibe so i would assume if you're a rock climber you'd and you're free climbing you'd want to know how long would it take me yeah, to hit the ground probably one of those things that they they've all got memberships to well yeah so for all of you listening here is the splat calculator uh you know time i mm. wanted to know if she's up there in that plane pinned behind a food cart that's quite a ways to fall. Yeah, so how many mini bottles feet. could she get through? <laughs> yeah, literally. So 33,000 feet, according to Splat Calculator, is 10,058 metres, thereabout. Okay. So thereabouts. To fall from that height, now this is not taking into account the, the fuselage, so the fact that she's still inside of a plane. So obviously the weight is significantly different. I did this on the basis of just a human body sure. falling from that height. So let's just go from that. But yeah. For a human to fall 10,058 metres, it would take 45.3 seconds to hit um, the ground. Only that, that long. Is, yeah. That is a, like a lifetime of falling, in my opinion. 45 yeah. seconds. I'm sure it... Look, I don't know. None of us have... It's very rare for people to be able to give their uh, first-hand account of that. But, <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I don't know whether it would go quick I yeah. don't know whether it would go in a flash, but just in general, I would have, I thought you were going to say, oh, no, Matt, three minutes, four minutes, mm -hmm. like 45 seconds is, gravity's a, oof. Well, it's a son of a bitch. Yeah. I just think, because in terms of 45 seconds, as I mean, surely majority of people potentially on this, uh, who are listening to our pod right now have done a, a plank before, an, an abdominal plank, 30 seconds Doing an abdominal plank is an eternity. Yeah. So 45 seconds falling through the air, is that like the same vibe or is it like, yeah, is it a 45 seconds of doing something you really enjoy so it goes like so quick or I can't imagine free falling is that enjoyable. And look, it's quite possible that she may have blacked out because of air loss or from pulling too many Gs. Or... So true. Yeah. Now, in terms of the... Um, uh, reporters in Prague who challenged the height, mm. they said it was 800 metres that they were shot down, so 2,625 feet. Even that, it's 12.78 seconds to fall 800 metres. Yeah. So it's still, you know, it's a bit of time. Cause, you you know, know. You know what's yeah. coming. 
All right, so she's fallen down thanks to the splat calc for that. Um, Vesna was the only one of 28 passengers and crew members to survive, but just barely. She suffered a skull fracture and she broke her legs. Yeah. Fair enough, I think. I think that's... Yeah. <clears throat> Three vertebrae were broken Ooh. and she was temp- temporarily paralyzed from the waist down and she was in a coma for, for quite some time. She had zero memory of the flight or her descent. Okay. Um, which I think it makes sense. The brain is a powerful thing it's that tries to stop you from <laughs> from remembering those things. But that trauma too, it's not surprising that she uh, does not remember that account. So in less than a year, because she's a bloody trooper, she recovered well enough to walk, but she had a limp. Uh, she said to the New York Times in 2008, I was broken and the doctors put me back together again. I wonder what her settlement was. Oh, good point. I I don't know because I didn't look into that. Um, I mean, that was going to be my question about Fran or Fran or Slacky Boy. If if he's got sucked out of a bloody plane and landed on a haystack, I'm sure there would have been some, some compensation. You would think for the trauma of such an event and if there's no evidence of that either that also makes me wonder i know i might have to do a bit of after episode research and and bring it back for for next week i'll see what i can find now the kicker is vesna returned to work at yugoslav airlines later in 1972 um, but she went to an office job um, which she negotiated freight contracts, so she wasn't a flight attendant. Yeah. She did want to go back to her old job, uh, but the airline says that she wasn't healthy enough to resume it because, like, she'd been all busted up and she had a bit of a limp. So they were like, nah, you can't do that, but you can go in the office and do freight contracts. Um, Vesna said that they didn't want me because they didn't want so much publicity about the accident. So she feels like they just popped her in an office and closed the door so that she wouldn't sort of talk about it. I'm pretty sure a great ball of fire and a bunch of deaths on you. <laughs> the, the, the damage is done. The babe. damage is done. Yeah. I don't think little Vesna is going to, you know, make, make a lot more attention, be drawn to that horrendous, ac- or, yeah, horrendous occasion. Yeah. Um, so she continued to fly occasionally, she said, without any fear, hmm. which I think is miraculous. I guess if you don't remember anything... Oh yeah, true. Right, like yeah, you 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 don't have anything to reference. You're just like, well, flying was the same to her before as it was after because that was the only experiences that she had. That so. she had, yeah, that's true. Now Vesna, who had been divorced, she was living on a small pension. She had three cats, uh, and her brother appeared to be her only survivor. Uh, Vesna dis- disagreed that luck played any part in helping her to survive the fall. Uh, she said, if I were lucky, I never would have had this accident. Hmm. My mother and father would still be alive because the accident ruined their lives too. Maybe I was born in the wrong place. Maybe it was the wrong time. Oh. <laughs> Thanks, Vess. She just did that quote for me. I did not make that up. That is Bible. That is what <laughs> she said. So it just really worked perfectly for that little app. So I'm glad that Frain got me onto Vesna. Yeah. But I have another oh, person I'd like to talk to you about. Just lay it on thick I to will. us, Kate. I am here for it. I like it. I just think there's a variety of stories here. And uh, I'm, I'm just going to get into the next one. And again, apologies to 
anyone because my pronunciation is going to be garbage for this. <laughs> All right. At around 8.15 a.m. on the morning of August 6th, 1945, Tsutsomu Yamaguchi was heading to his place of work when he looked up and he noticed a B-29 bomber soaring over Hiroshima. Oh, babe. A small object attached to two parachutes dropped out of the plane and the next thing Yamaguchi remembered was a flash of light like a magnesium flare hurtling towards the city. Is Oof. that ringing any bells of any, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> any historical moments that have happened? I mean, honestly, in that sort of situation, I'd just sit down and be like, all right, here we go. Uh, here we on. go. Now, for those of you that don't know what we're talking about, uh, that uh, there was a 13 kiloton uranium atomic bomb known as Little Boy, and it destroyed much of Hiroshima. Mm. Just three kilometers from the epicenter of the blast, Yamaguchi was violently pushed back before instinctively taking cover in an irrigation ditch. A nautical engineer, he had been sent to Hiroshima three months earlier by his boss at Mitsubishi Heavy Industries to work on an oil tanker. It was supposed to be his penultimate day in the city and he was desperate to get back to his family. Oh. Suffering from a ruptured eardrum and, a bad, and badly burned on the upper part of his body, the mm. then 29-year-old spent an anxious night at an air raid shelter with colleagues. Passing through scenes of anguish and torment, he then headed towards the west of the city the following day to get to the train station. With the bridges down, I mean, firstly, he's just off to the station the next day. He's just survived an atomic bomb blast. What an absolute trooper. This guy needs a pay rise immediately. Now, with the bridges down, he had to cross a river that was full of bloated corpses of men, women and children, some of whom were stuck together these disturbing images would remain with Yamaguchi until his death, yet at the time his main concern was simply reaching the other side. Wading through the dead bodies, he eventually made it across. Oh. I know. I, yeah, no wonder they stayed with him until he, he perished, yeah. like far out. Now, remarkably, the train was still running. That's some incredible engineering right there. Mm -hmm. A train line that survives an atomic blast. Yamaguchi returned to his hometown of Nagasaki on August 8th. He went to the hospital to get his burns treated, and within 24 hours, he was back at work. What the oh. fuck? Have a day off, Dal. Just take a day. They take Tiny a day. Loo, something. I'm sure there's a personal leave that's like atomic bomb. Like, Ooh. I survived an atomic bomb blast. Fucking hell. So he's back at work 24 hours later. Sounds now, like the American way of doing things in annual leave. It does sound a little bit like that. But, I mean, Yamaguchi, whilst he's in the middle of explaining... To his boss who didn't believe him uh so he's saying dude in hiroshima this is what i witnessed all of a sudden the engineer was thrown back again by yet another explosion fuck right off i knew i was like come on this can't be true fat man the code name for the second of two atomic bombs used in warfare was reportedly due to be detonated over kokura in fukuoka but because of cloud cover, the destination was changed to Nagasaki. The number of people killed outright from the blast was somewhere between 35 and 40,000, while tens of thousands died later from long-term health effects. Mm -hmm. Yamaguchi, who again was around three kilometers from ground zero, survived <sighs> along with his wife and five-month-old son. Oh, thank God. 
In 2009, so we're fast forwarding, less than a year before his death, the Nagasaki native became the only person to be officially recognized by the government of Japan as a double hibakusha Mm. survivor of an atomic bomb. As filmmaker uh, Haidetaka Inazuka, I'm so sorry about these pronunciations. No, you're doing great. Um, As Inazuka points out, though, there were many others, including Yamaguchi's colleagues, um, a couple of his colleagues. Now, uh, Inazuka explained that um, Mitsubishi had factories in Hiroshima and Nagasaki, so numerous workers would have boarded the same train as Yamaguchi. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, uh, Inazuka directed a 2011 documentary called Twice Bombed, The Legacy of Tsutsomu Yamaguchi, which was on... Netflix, I think it's the US Netflix. Okay. Um, yeah, I can. we can find that out. Uh, but Inazuka went on to say that the majority of them would have perished in the second attack. However, whilst it's difficult to confirm exact figures, we know that there were over 100 survivors, 100 um. double survivors. Most chose never to speak about their experiences publicly. Uh, in his later years, Yamaguchi was very open about what happened and became like, a spokesperson um, for people who'd survived both. What he went through was remarkable and um, Inazuka felt it was really important to make a documentary about it. In 2005, following the death of his son, uh, Katsutoshi, from cancer, Yamaguchi changed his stance, deciding, deciding to speak openly about what happened to him at the end of World War II. As well as writing memoirs, he appeared in two documentaries, Uh, And at the age of 90, he got his first ever passport and flew to New York to address the United Nations. He also, yeah, he's, it's just an incredible story. Uh, He also wrote to and got a response from former American President Barack Obama about banning nuclear arms. Yes, please. Still now, this is... um, Uh, Inazuka was telling the Tokyo Weekender he said still now many people don't know that there were survivors of two atomic bombs the fact that Yamaguchi was so close to both blasts and lived was extraordinary I first met him in 2005 and immediately sensed his warmth and humility it felt like he had a profound impact on everyone he came across including James Cameron who took time out from his busy schedule whilst promoting Avatar in Tokyo to visit him in hospital for the documentary Two weeks after Cameron's visit, Yamaguchi passed away. I fucking love James Cameron. Just putting that out I there. Know. Like, whether you like his shit or not, he is just, I think he's a good person. But yeah. What I a, just, what oh, my a, God. Yeah. I couldn't get over that story. And also, like, that is quite literally the epitome of wrong place, wrong time, because Fat Man was never supposed to be detonated yeah. in Nagasaki. It was supposed to be over Kokura. Like, it's not... That's no joke. Like, that's wild because of clouds. Yeah. So it's a cloudy day, so we'll just go and bomb Nagasaki. And Yamaguchi is there after literally two days prior. He would... He's already seen one. He doesn't need to see another one. Leave the man alone. Kate Wilkinson. I'm genuinely a bit speechless. Sorry, I'm. Just, no, that's okay. Normally, I, I've got. When I read that. Yeah. And that was, you know, and there, there is so much more. I, you know, we could honestly do a whole episode on Yamaguchi. He is a fascinating person. I cut out a lot of the work that he did uh, later on in his life, so w- we might even save that. We might do a follow up on on Yamaguchi because just an incredible human being. 
but in the sense of our theme for today and our story arc, uh, I just wanted to put in that that key info. So I'll certainly open that up to do a full episode on him, though, because holy shit. Well done. Like, I'm floored. Uh, yeah. This is such a fascinating topic. And I, to be honest, I don't think I've ever even seen or heard a podcast go into so deeper in like a level of on the topic of wrong place wrong time they might do one story about it or they might yeah and they can even be tied in with like a different theme or something um but i think yeah it's there's so many and dom guess what i've got another one for you right now oh fuck me let's go (laughs) (laughs) i don't want to end on yamaguchi although it is such a profound story we started with frame he can you know, do his thing, whether his stories are made up or not. But that got me on to Vesna. Yeah. And that was a pretty impressive story. We've just heard about Yamaguchi. Now I want to tell you about Jason and Jenny Kahn's Lawrence. All right. Before you do, just quickly, yes. I have been to Hiroshima and I've oh, walked God. the streets and seen the the bomb site and I've oh. gone to the museum there. If anyone is at all interested in that part of our time and history... I cannot recommend enough going there and seeing it because it's just so eye-opening and profound and it's not one of those things that you really, really will get to see. I hope you know, no one ever gets oh, to absolutely. see something like that again. But I have been there. It's really powerful. Go go visit if you ever Amazing. can. Well, let's put that in our, our you know, long-form um, Yamaguchi episode. You can talk Sweet. a bit about your trip there and because I've never heard your story about that trip. I'm keen. Yeah, well, Let's do it. Jason and Jenny, is it? Jason and Jenny. Oh, love it. Jason and Jenny Cairns Lawrence is our next story. Now it's it's Cairns, as in Cairns, Australia, like the, the place in Australia. Yeah. But I'm saying Cairns because I'm being fancy. <gasps> so our final little story about wrong place, wrong time today is uh, Jason and Jenny Cairns Lawrence, who were an English couple from the Midlands. Now, they don't sound like harbingers of destruction. However, they have managed to be accidentally vacationing in three cities that were rocked by terrorist attacks. No, go away. Not one, not two, but three. Uh, So the first disastrous trip that they went to was in New York City in 2001. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) where their sightseeing coincided with the 9-11 attacks on the World Trade Center. After this experience, the couple chose their next trip based on its unlikelihood of being the target of a large-scale terrorist operation. So they went to London. And during their visit, a series of suicide attacks on the London underground killed 52 people and injured 700. It was the first suicide, suicide attack of its kind in the country's history. Yeah. Now, not to be put off traveling by two harrowing national disasters, Jenny and Jason set out again in 2008. This time, they went to Mumbai in India. Mm. They were there on November 26 when gunmen from the Pakistani terrorist group uh, Lashkar-e-Tayyiba, again, sorry for the pronunciations, everyone, but they attacked several landmark buildings in the city, killing 164 people. Having witnessed these cities in the immediate aftermath of their respective tragedies, the couple offered to press some observations on the mood. Jenny told the Telegraph of Calcutta, India, 
I can't imagine somebody opening his shop the next day after his brother was felled by terrorists. He looks sad, but he's ready to pick up the pieces of his life and move on. As I look around, it's impossible to tell that such a ghastly thing happened. In New York, people carried the look of terror in their eyes for weeks after the carnage. In London, the police appeared more scared than the people. In the same article, Jenny further explained her perspective on the series of unfortunate events which follow her vacation plans. I shouldn't be laughing about it, but it's some strange coincidence for sure. The terrorist attacks just happened when we were in these cities. Maybe we will think about putting it down on paper someday, but neither of us are a particularly good writer. And that's the really abridged version of Jason and Jenny's story of being in not one, not two, but three cities that had major terrorist attacks at the time that they were there. This Oof. this week, Kate, you've mm-hmm. genuinely, genuinely got me questioning my beliefs on coincidences, just, you know, whatever. Oh, really? Like, but listen to these stories, right? I know. This, like, uh, you know, Frayne I'm not so convinced on because I'm whatever. glad I started with Frayne because it really, I feel like it built up so much more in that second part of our story today. But I feel like Frayne got me on to some of the other stories. Exactly. You know, which I, I felt was, it made them feel more powerful and more, yeah, coincidental. Well, that's the thing. So right. Like, Frayne you know, we just can't corroborate. Vesna, it's one particular event, right? And then yeah. you've got... It's a Yuku or I forgot Yamaguchi. Yeah, Yamaguchi yeah. too, quite horrific. But I guess there's a little bit of understanding of, you know, working in certain place and, you know, it's quite normal for whatever. Yeah. But then to finish on a three banger, like mm. actually that was really poor word oh, choice goodness. there. No, but I understand. A th- yeah, a three part to the story. Far Oof. out. That is, again, I'm proper speechless, Kate. Like, what do you say in these situations? It's so tricky. Like, there's not much to say. Because, again, I don't want to make light of any of these things. But, gosh, as anybody who's listened to any of our episodes, our intentions are pure. We never laugh at these things and laugh at the horrendous nature of a lot of this stuff. But, holy shit, like, what a time. Yeah, Jenny I'll just was book a trip to New York. I'll trip a, you know, oh, where's where's going to be a really safe city? Oh, if we go to London, oh, great, another terrorist attack. Why don't we just swing past Mumbai? Oh, fuck, okay, cool, no worries, thanks, guys. Yeah, we but might I, not book any more trips for the moment. I think Jenny's cor- correct in saying, you know, that it, it, even she laughs about it. Like sometimes. Yeah. And people laugh at inappropriate things all the time, and it's a genuinely documented response in in times of trauma and and, and so on. I think, and especially in stories like this where it is l- legitimately just wrong place, wrong time. Yeah, you know. Actually, on that, I watched. This is just a, just popped into my head, but um. David Letterman has a Netflix series, which yeah. I'm neither here nor there about him, but I enjoy hearing the stories of the people he interviews. Uh, and it's, you know, my next guest needs no introduction and he has really in-depth chats with people one-on-one. Yeah. And Julia, Julia Louis-Dreyfus was one. And uh, she's Elaine from Seinfeld, for those of you that might not know. She's also um, uh, Selena from Veep. But she won an Emmy Award and then went to sleep and literally the next morning her phone rang and it was her doctor and saying that she was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. 
And her response was that. She said, I just started laughing. I was like, this is 10 hours between me accepting an Emmy Award on the stage at the (laughs) bloody theatre down the road. And now, hang on, you're telling me I have breast cancer? Like, she just couldn't help but laugh. So in that vein of processing trauma, it's an absolutely well-documented response. So I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, sure. If I was Yamaguchi and I saw the other (laughs) bloody atomic bomb, I'd be like, are you kidding me, (laughs) guys? Yep. Silly billies, stop dropping bums on me. Uh, they got it out for me. Well, Ugh. well done, Kate. Like, hats off to you. You have done such an incredible amount of research to get all of these stories, to, to edit them back. It's actually a really big challenge, folks, for those that don't realise and understand. It's not that there isn't enough out there. It's There's too much for, for Kate and I sometimes. Agreed. So trying Agreed. to package it and sell it and tell it storytelling is is an art form and i'm really proud of you and i kate i think we're very good at it i agree yeah it's so it's so kind of you and yeah ditto it is tricky to to pair it back but um you know and that's why as well sometimes we'll just uh touch on some things like today's episode as i said we could do an episode probably Maybe on the the last two stories, I reckon. You could do an individual on those two. But, uh, yeah. Thank you for joining me, Dominic. I had such a fun time. And thank you to our listeners. And just get on our social. Yeah. We want to hear from people. We want to hear your thoughts, feelings, and emotions. And and as you probably can tell, we're counting down to the launch of our Patreon. It is like as of today of this recording, which will be Mm -hmm. a different day when it's released but mm-hmm. as of today it's nine days until we launch patreon yeah. and we are so freaking excited oh my and god don't forget there is a standing competition the first person to sign up to our patreon wins the first inaugural coveted golden toot award golden oh. crapper award so yes bring it on and yeah. if you don't know what that looks like then go on our socials but you can win it's a legitimate prize it is a legitimate thing that would be posted to your home or workplace like it's not pretend engraved even with oh, your name stop it you can put it on your mantelpiece yeah you could pop it in your toilet oh that'd look good a crapper in your crapper yeah <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty, well, we'll see you next week. And we'll do. Love, love you, you, Dom. Love you, Brickies. Love you, Kate. Bye. Bye. That's a wrap. Big shout out to everyone for tuning in to Shit and Bricks. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us. Plus, you can find extra little nuggets on our socials. Next week, we'll be back talking more shit, so do not forget to tune in. And remember to wipe, flush, and wash your hands. Goodbye. Goodbye.